0: Well, it is amazing, isn't it? In Australia, more than just about anywhere else, house prices are continuing to rise despite the cost of living, despite the high interest rates. It's been said before, just what does it take to slow down the Aussie housing market? But it's not an even distribution now. Sydney and Melbourne have lost some ground. Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth are doing particularly well. So what's going on? We'll get the lowdown this week. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. The Weekend Edition. So CoreLogic's National Home Value Index was uh, released this week. It's out once a month, but it's a while since we've had a good look at it on the weekend edition. And with inflation falling, well, this seems like a good time to welcome back Eliza Owen, CoreLogic's Head of Residential Research. And a a reminder, of course, that this is the disclaimer. The views that you hear are not those of NAB because we broaden our circle a little bit at the uh, weekend on the weekend edition. So welcome back, Eliza. The the key takeout is... Prices are still rising, up 0.4 percent in January. In fact, we've risen 12 months in a row. But what about volumes? Is it? Is it? Are we seeing prices still rising because it's a slower turnover? Is it just a supply and demand thing?
1: It's definitely a supply and demand function in some areas more than others. From a sales perspective, nationally, the number of resi transactions is trending higher, which is actually pushing up the turnover rate, sitting at 4.9 percent annually. Um, so the number of sales that we've seen in the past three months, sits at about 115,000. Uh, and that's 12% higher than what we saw this time last year when prices were falling. And it's actually a little bit above the historic average as well, um, for, for the previous five years. So sales volumes actually looking pretty healthy despite high interest rates, from a listings perspective, that's where I think a lot of the urgency comes from in some markets. So, the markets that are seeing strong price rises, Brisbane, Perth, um, the, uh, Adelaide as well, that's where we're seeing listings volumes at the end of last year We're sitting about 30% below historic averages.
0: Oh, uh, right. Well, that sort of answers my next question because – I was going to say, you know, in Sydney, prices peaked two years ago. They were 2.4% down from that. Melbourne is 4.2% down from its peak. But yeah, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth have all hit all-time highs in January. So I was wondering whether that is now just people can't afford to live in Sydney and Melbourne and they're getting out and they're going to these uh, to these other places. But I mean, it, whether it's that or not, I mean, the, yeah. it, it doesn't look good for extra rises in Sydney and Melbourne, does it? You know, have they, have they peaked? Although, you know, we've said, how many times has this been said? You know, Sydney house prices have peaked. Uh, you know, we've been saying that for decades, possibly.
1: I mean, look, I think when we look back at the home value index results, Sydney has been pretty flat over the past three months. We have this revisionary model now, which showed in November, prices actually went down a little bit and then they were flat over December. Even though they were up 0.2% in January, they could revise down again. The other capital cities where we're seeing strong increases in value, take Perth, for example, values were up almost 16% over the past year but the median dwelling value is about $677,000, which is actually the third cheapest of the capital cities. So yes, that market has grown strongly, but it's come off an extended downswing from 2014 all the way through to basically the start of 2020. It's come off a low base. Um, Stock levels are lower. And I think from an investment perspective, we're seeing a lot of interest from relatively high income earners that are skewed to the cheaper end of town because of limited borrowing capacity and high interest rates. So, anecdotally, we're hearing a lot about the southeast market of Perth, Logan in Greater Brisbane, and just South Australia more broadly, and that's reflected in investment uh, lending volumes as well. That's where we're seeing not just a lot of purchases for, to, to live in and move to, but from an investment perspective, those areas are very popular right now as well.
0: Yeah, but there's got to be demand in those places, hasn't there, which would mean that there's more people moving into those cities, presumably.
1: Yes, migration trends are very strong. Um, Queensland is a great example where even though interstate migration has kind of pulled back a little bit, it was still sitting at about 30,000 over the year to June 2023. That's almost double the pre-COVID decade average of interstate migration. So even though it's down from a high of about 50,000, migration patterns are still very intense. They're not what um, developers would be used to. They're not what real estate agents would be used to. And it is the old adage of supply and demand, but just to a very extreme level. So the likes of Brisbane, Adelaide, and Perth. And that's why they continue to rise at more than 1% a month.
0: Right, but it's not just the capital cities, is it? So, if we look into uh, regional markets, then regional New South Wales and regional Victoria, they are both down from their peaks. But then, if we look at regional Queensland and South Australia and WA, that like their capitals, they are they are rising. I'm just wondering in New South Wales and Victoria whether this is COVID sea change gone wrong. You know, people have moved out and then decided they needed to move back into into the cities, or you know, or at least the trend to move out to the country is a little bit diminished. What's happening here?
1: Well, I, I I don't necessarily think it's this great reversal of the sea change, tree change. So if we take regional New South Wales and Victoria, regional New South Wales is 5.5% down from its peak, which was before rate rises. Regional Vic, uh, about 6.5%. But the thing is, these downswings and where they're sitting now has come off the back of enormous upswings. And relative to their capital city counterparts, you've still got regional New South Wales sitting 45% higher than at the onset of COVID. Wow. Regional Vic has had a bit less of an upswing at 30%. But I think they've still benefited from very large gains and the downswings we've seen is an adjustment to higher interest rates. If you look at the monthly trend for regional New South Wales, it's up. So, it's been in recovery mode for quite some time and may eventually trend back to a record high. Regional Victoria has had a longer downswing, starting to flatten out. Worth noting that Regions usually lag the capital cities. So we've we've seen Sydney kind of go through a bit of an upswing through 2023. Regional New South Wales follows, but at a bit of a lag, it's on the way to a recovery. And if you look at internal migration trends from capital cities to regions, they've settled down from COVID highs, but they're still higher than what we would have seen pre-pandemic.
0: Yeah. And it sort of stands to reason, doesn't it? You've got an ageing population. People, you know, selling the cities retire to uh, to where life is a, is a little bit slower. I um, sounds very appealing, I have to say. So, um, yeah, I mean, that just presumably that's a long-term trend unless we see, which of course we are seeing. Massive migration, which can sort of counter that a bit.
1: Yeah, internally, the tree change, sea change has been a long-standing trend, even well before COVID, where net migration to regions has historically been positive. As you allude to there, Sydney and Melbourne make up for that with overseas migration. It's interesting, right? Though when we talk about Sydney, which is one of the main beneficiaries of overseas migration levels. Prices uh, still aren't rising necessarily. They were pretty flat over the past three months. It's more in the rental market where that fundamental demand for the need to housing is demonstrated with rent values still rising at nearly 10% a year across Sydney. And then when it comes to the transaction side of things, that's more influenced by things like affordability, lending capacity, um, the consumer sentiment levels and and confidence in future capital growth. So I think it is worth making the distinction between fundamental demand for housing, demand for purchasing housing, and how overseas migrants fit into that.
0: Right. So as you say, you know, big migration, we've got, uh, well, close to half a million, uh, the net figure uh, last year, 175,000 of those moved into New South Wales, presumably mainly Sydney, 150,000 moving into Victoria. Uh, If they're not buying and they're renting, I mean, surely that would be pushing up rental prices, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So about 60% of permanent migrants are renters historically when they first come to Australia. If you look at Sydney house rents, they're up another 9% over 2023. Um, For the unit sector, that's about 11%. And again, that reflects where migrants tend to settle as well, which is your high-density unit markets historically. Um, So... That's sort of the immediate impact. And then later down the line, permanent migrants will convert to purchases, but they can only do so when they can afford it, when the conditions are right for them. Um, so potentially we could see the effects of this surge in net migration on the purchasing market uh, in a, at a lag uh, and and sort of down the line as we see those renters converting to purchases.
0: And the gap between house prices and units... In capital cities, that gap is at a record high now. The the difference between before COVID and now, it's quite astounding, isn't it? So tell us about that. I mean, it's I guess it you know there the could be the argument that uh, you, you know we are all locked up in an apartment. We like the idea of a garden and we're going to pay a bit more for it.
1: So the difference between the median house and unit value across Australia uh, and in particular across the capital cities really started to diverge from COVID when people were spending more time at home and demanded bigger spaces that difference across the median um, capital city market house and unit value has blown out to 45%. The pre-COVID decade average difference was just 15%. Wow. So, yeah. That really shows how, I guess, COVID has changed the game when it comes to housing preferences. The remote work trend is probably a big part of that and having the home office, Um and you know to an extent it's also the the dominance of owner occupiers in the market that we've seen throughout the last cycle where owner occupiers have a have a preference for detached houses as right. well
0: so and these are yeah owner occupied obviously presumably there's not a lot of these larger houses with big gardens they're going to the rental market
1: yeah i mean there there will be some established rentals and and we are seeing a little bit of accelerated demand for house rentals, just because tenants themselves can scale those costs better. But historically, when you look at investor activity, most of it is concentrated in the unit market, and new unit developments have a pretty high proportion of of investments within them as well.
0: So, give us a clear idea of actually what is happening in that investment market then. Is it on the rise? Is it falling? Where are people buying? What sort of volumes versus those people buying homes for themselves and, you know, and how's that all changed pre and post COVID? So
1: the best view that that we follow on that month to month is the ABS housing lending data, which shows record levels of investment during the low interest rate period through COVID. And then that went through a pretty short but sharp decline through much of 2022 investor activity bottomed out in February of 2023. And since then, it's rebounded strongly. It's not quite back at those record high levels, but the recovery in investment activity has actually been faster than what we've seen in the owner-occupier space. At the moment, investor lending makes up about 35% of all borrowing for housing purchases nationally. And that's a little bit above the decade average of 34% of the new mortgage. Market. A very
0: little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what about, but I mean, the, the, which surprises me that it's not down actually because I'd be thinking what sort of return are you getting right now? You know, you've got you've got a higher mortgage cost and then you've got the cost of living which would be squeezing how much people are able to pay for rent. I, I, you know, I'd be surprised that people are, you know, making the sorts of returns that, you know, they historically would have been expecting.
1: So I guess I would say that when you look and, and I think particularly at the moment with interest rates where they are, the majority of Australian investors are negatively geared and most investors are adopting a capital growth strategy. The reason that capital growth strategy would be becoming more popular at the moment is because you have these relatively cheap cities like Adelaide and Perth returning double-digit capital growth. That is very attractive for people who are wanting to build their wealth even relatively quickly through through property, whether it's a sustainable... um, Growth strategy is is another question. But investors love strong capital growth rates, yep, right? That's the answer. <laughs> so I think that's why. And it it's reflected in the investment lending data by state as well. For South Australia, the volume of um finance going for investment properties was nearly at a record high through November. So, and again, it comes back to those anecdotes, the relatively cheap, high yielding, and now high capital growth areas of Perth and Adelaide. Um, seem to be dominating both in the capital growth charts and for investor interest. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. It was a very simple answer to that question, wasn't there? You know, it's yeah, just negative. Ge- Phil, negative gearing, get with it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> people don't care if they uh, make a profit or not. It's the as you say, it's the capital value. Uh, but I mean, you've got to have someone in it. So I mean, there's I guess there's a ceiling to that demand. Even you know, if you're looking in those cities. So if you would, okay. So I mean, this has all been very useful. If there's if there's a trend that could emerge this year. Something that perhaps isn't totally evident to you know to those of us who, who browse through these numbers because you've got your head stuck in it all the time, of course. Um, in the back of your mind, you know, something that you might be thinking: well, this could well happen. That might not be immediately obvious to anybody else. What would that be? So, there's that's putting you on the spot.
1: No, no, I think there's there's three things that I've kind of been thinking about for the year ahead. Um first one I think is Brisbane is starting to hit that affordability ceiling, and even though it's growing by one percent a month, that one percent growth rate through January is down from one point seven percent back in May last year so we're already starting to see an easing in growth rate that could well um continue into a bit of a downswing for twenty twenty
0: four so where do people um, go just on that where the- do people go? I know so many people who've left Sydney because they wanted to get a decent house and they would ju- they would just been outpriced and they've Found a job, or they've got their employer has allowed them to move to to Brisbane. So if they're getting priced out of Brisbane now, where do they go next?
1: Well, they may stay put, right? If if uh, the median dwelling value across Brisbane is now nearly eight hundred thousand dollars, it's more than the median value across Melbourne. Granted, what you're getting for your money is still better, but I think in some of the more expensive spots of Brisbane we may see some recalibration in, in the decision making around do I make the move or or do I just stay put. While, mind you, the Melbourne market is kind of flatlining, there may be that that may affect the migration
0: no. trend. Okay, number two. That's number one. Number two.
1: Number two, uh, I think a pretty consistent easing in the growth in rent markets. I know stock levels are very low. I know that um, rent growth has been extraordinary for the past few years and hasn't shown much sign of easing. But the key um, release valve, if you like, would be regrouping of share houses. The first quarter of the year is when we tend to see a lot of rental turnover and people renewing their leases. And I think you will get more people deciding, I can't afford to live alone anymore, time to take up a room in shared accommodation or or share house. Um, And I think that's going to contribute to an easing in rental growth combined with the exuberance in investor activity at the moment. And the third one is um, in the institutional space, so government policy, there's a lot of talk about how unrealistic that very ambitious target of 1.2 million homes seems. One way to get stimulus in the new um, house construction area is first-home buyer grants, Directed at new housing, so we've already seen that come through in Queensland with the temporary incentive for um, first term buyers purchasing new properties. I think
0: but that just we, pushes prices up, doesn't it?
1: It does, but it gets more houses built.
0: Yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, and, and that's mm-hmm. the
1: and that's the target, right? So it's a it's a bit cynical of me to say, but I think um, does it
0: actually work? Though? I mean, if you if you give people thirty thousand dollars, doesn't it just add the price up to thirty thousand? So there's you know, be- if,
1: if you take. If you take a first home buyer a grant and you divert it to new properties only, you see an uplift in new properties being built and purchased. So, I think that means the buyers who are kind of on the cusp of that decision get tipped over the edge with their grants and, and they utilize that. Um I'm not saying it's the most effective long-term policy but I'm saying for a government that has a time limit a on win. getting houses built. Yeah, yeah, built. exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So, uh, it's been done before and I'm sure it'll be done again exactly. many times. Yeah. So just one very quickly before we go then. So inflation obviously is coming down 4.1% we found out this week uh, NAB is forecasting it's going to be down to I think 3.1% for the uh, for the fourth quarter this year. Gosh, I hope I've got that right. Uh, but anyway, the expectation from everybody is it's, it's getting lower. So does that change the market too much or is everyone's sort of already put in their own, you know, they, they've priced their decisions based on it coming down.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the key here is that inflation came down to be at a lower level than forecast, both by a lot of economists, but also by the RBA. So, inflation's moving in the right direction and doing so more quickly than anticipated, which, you know, might bring forward expectations for a rate cut and influence purchasing decisions as a result. Um so I guess that would be the main implication for the housing market is the impact that it has on on interest rates.
0: So it pushes prices up?
1: Potentially, yeah, on the expectation that interest rates could come down sooner than
0: later. And given that everybody in Australia spends every last dollar, spare dollar they've got on their house, if they've got a bit of extra spare cash, then that means they put it into a more expensive investment, obviously. As well,
1: yeah, it's yeah. definitely it's an upside for the housing market, but we have to remember there are short-term headwinds as well. Savings rates have dropped to the lowest level since 2007. Um, cost of living pressures are, are probably um, dissuading purchasing decisions as well so it, it's one of the upsides but it's got to be weighed against all of these other factors of economic hurt in the short term
0: eliza fantastic to talk to you again uh, we'll get you on again in a few months uh, just to see how things are, are traveling uh, first home bars grant yeah what a fantastic idea did you think that up all by yourself
1: <laughs> I've just seen it before. I've seen it time and time again. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll
0: see what happens. We'll see what happens. Maybe Jim Chalmers is listening in today. Catch you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Now, can you imagine Eliza at a Sydney dinner party? I mean, she lives in Sydney. Tomorrow night, there will be very few dinner parties that don't discuss house prices. That's the Sydney thing, isn't it? Imagine if you had Eliza there. No other opinions would matter, would they? Anyway, we'll get it back on. Next week, tourism. What's the growth potential for Australia's inbound tourism? Sector. We're going to talk to Austrade about that one, and I am back on Monday, of course, for the weekday edition of the Morning Call. Enjoy your weekend till then. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening.
1: The Weekend Edition.